0: Hello. I'm Karen Hardwick, and in addition to being a clinically and spiritually trained therapist, I am a leadership consultant. As a result of my work and my own messy and beautiful journey, I know that connection is the antidote. On this podcast, I talk with people, leaders from all walks of life, who embody connection to self, to amazing grace and as a result to others. My guests are those who bravely choose true connection, even as they walk through some hard times. They hold their stories and the stories of others lightly and lovingly with authenticity and grace, empathy and gratitude. They are the ones awakening, broken wide open into wholeness. We are all recovering from something and the sharing of our stories is all about connection Not perfection. I have a chair here just for you. We are saving you a seat. We are saving you a seat for this conversation. For sure, you're not going to want to miss it. So please tune in and listen to Katie Gustafson and I talk about what it is like to receive a breast cancer diagnosis. Katie is a therapist, an Enneagram expert, and a warrior for self-care and you will be so moved and inspired by how she talks about leading a connected synergistic life bringing all the pieces together we're saving you a seat Hey, everyone. We are in for a real treat today. I say that every week because I have the best guests, and you are going to really love this conversation. Katie Gustafson is a therapist, a coach, and a writer specializing in the creative experiential experience, and she's going to tell us all about what that means. She uses the Enneagram and a relational, unpretentious—don't you just love that—approach to help people understand and embrace their unique desires, needs, and identity. Her unique program, The Practice, combines these tools for a new way to approach self-care and personal understanding. She holds a master's in counseling from Trevica Nazarene University, and she lives in Nashville. Katie, Welcome.
1: Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much. It's so good to meet you finally.
0: I know we've been following each other and we have friends in common and I'm just so glad to be sharing this space with you. So we chatted a little bit beforehand and I am going to dive right in because I don't think you or I are good necessarily (laughs) at small talk. The meaty stuff is what we're after. Totally. I want to start talking about your breast cancer journey.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have had one too. And so I think that we can just kind of hold that out and chat about that mm-hmm. you You talk about how your breast cancer was not found in the typical mammogram. Mine wasn't right. either. That's what you said and it's It's really important, I think, for people to realize that i know
1: I know you know I just i i kind of was stunned and it all, it kind of made me angry too when i when i got my first mammogram routine right when i was 40 41 I was 41 and i it was 6 months before 5 months before i found a lump on my right breast that was a good sized lump i mean it was at the, on the cusp of being stage 2 but it was you know, a quarter size mm-hmm. lump. Mm. I found it like five months after I had that initial mammogram that came back normal. Mm-hmm. and I was concerned, obviously, like you would like I'm sure you were, and you went to my doctor and she looked at it, and she ordered a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound and again, this the diagnostic mammogram did not even pick it up right, right, which. I mean, obviously the ultrasound did. The radiologist would, could see it and read that, but and even too, downplayed it big time. Oh, this is probably nothing. This is this is probably just one of those you know fatty tissue lumps that is benign. You know, so I really was not concerned. I I just kind of went. Went about my day, went about my weeks, uh, waited till—he he did say, you know, we, we do have to biopsy this just to make sure, but I'm sure it's nothing. You know, three, four weeks later, I go to the breast specialist, and she is—she said—she looked at me, and she said, Katie, I will be shocked if this is not cancer. Oh, dear and, Lord. you know, I'm pretty sure she's, you know, an eight on the Enneagram. So just straightforward, no-nonsense— mm-hmm. Yeah. But I appreciated that. But it, it was stunning. I, I was stunned. Well,
0: especially in light of what you had been told. That's that's why I said, dear Lord. I mean, it was just, it's just in such direct contrast right. to the reassurance that reassurances you had received. And like you, I had a young son, not as young as yours, but my son yeah. was 10. And when I got the call that said, Yes, this is cancer, my f- my f- i can still choke up thinking about it. my first thought was my son like how yeah. is this going to play out for him mm-hmm. i've got to stay alive mm-hmm. for him
1: yeah totally absolutely i mean that's exactly where we go it, it everything becomes really primal doesn't it that's everything a great word becomes- i literally
0: f- found myself on the floor talk about primal because yeah. my mother and my aunt both died from breast cancer.
1: My grandmother died at 58
0: mm.
1: from breast cancer. Yeah, we have such a similar story there.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's such a passion of mine. I never really, I've, I think I've always taken my health for granted because I've always been so healthy and strong. And, you know, I just, I just am passionate to empower women. I mean, your, your work and your, you know, your writing, it's all about connection to self, connection, being a connected leader. I mean, I think we really have to lead our lives in a way that advocates you know, in a deep, deep way for our health. Uh, now more than ever coming out of the pandemic, advocating for our physical health, for our mental health. That's such a new crusade that I find myself on, the physical part. I've always been advocating for the mental health piece. But now that physical being a woman and knowing just how rampant breast cancer is, we've got to be awake.
0: I love that. We've got to be awake. And there's this really deep connection for me. I'd love to know your thoughts, Katie, about the embodiment of our spiritual, our mental, our emotional, our physical. Like It's all so deeply connected in ways that when you get a diagnosis like a cancer or when someone in your family suffers from addiction or something happens that stops you in your track, you start to look at things so very differently.
1: Absolutely. You know, yes, everything is so enmeshed and interconnected. And I think that, I mean, just to bring the Enneagram into this conversation, it's why I love the Enneagram so much as a holistic tool, you know, because it's looking at how our somatic experience plays into our emotional, plays into our psychological. And it all wraps up in this beautiful package of our spiritual journey that I think Mm -hmm. underlies all of it, right? But I do, I think, you know, we can't, I think, you know, Western medicine, Western, you know, science, we've been so cerebral in our approach to everything. We've been so cut off um, from this interconnected dynamic of being human, right? And I think finally our modern world, our modern, you know, modern medicine, modern science is really catching up to this ancient wisdom of the Enneagram that says it's all connected. We are dynamic Three brained beings, we are not just one dimensional, we are so multifaceted. Yeah, and we have a a somatic, physical, body, instinctual wisdom, we have an emotional wisdom, and of course, we have this cognitive wisdom. Um, But yes, they all play together.
0: So beautifully stated. And there's so much in what you just said, Katie, that I want to unpack. And I really don't know where to start because there's, like, as I said, so much in what you just said. You know, I am a huge fan of Western medicine. Like, thank you, God, for yes, the, Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. For all the things that have helped us to not just survive, but to thrive. I like to say we're cancer thrivers, not just survivors. Yes, and however i'm a big proponent not just in all the emotional and spiritual tools like the enneagram and spiritual direction and therapy and all the things but i'm also a really big user of some of the eastern medical practices acupuncture as an example i mean all those ancient healing arts that really bring another whole level of awareness and awakening to our lives. It's been a big part of my healing journey, all of that.
1: Yes. Yeah, you mentioned acupuncture. I really attribute acupuncture to helping me get pregnant with my son. Yeah, I think that it was a huge a huge part of that journey for me. Um, I, had, I did struggle to get um, pregnant for about two years. And I don't know why I hadn't been doing acupuncture the whole time. Uh, and and someone said, you know, have you been, have you tried acupuncture? I said, I have a, a long time ago, but not, not surrounding this, not around um, fertility. And it just, it, it really, something happened. <laughs> right. Isn't that funny?
0: Something happened. Like we don't really know something what happened. happened. I know. I know, it's so funny, so we can check that box because we have that similar story too. So I was an older mom, and I didn't really even think that I was going to have children. Having raised my siblings because my mom was terminally ill when we were all young, I thought, in some ways, yeah, I've done that." However, through a variety of different kind of interventions, I started to think about having children, and I was not necessarily having trouble getting pregnant because I never even thought about it. And I did read, okay, maybe acupuncture could help since I'm not exactly 25 years old anymore. And so I went. And it was just one of the things that I think contributed to the ease in which, and I don't say that easily because I know that a lot of women really struggle and it's, it's a grief process, my story was not that, um, and I still really hold very lightly the the grief process for people going through infertility. So, yeah, but acupuncture played a role in that for sure, and in my cancer treatment, and you know, it's it's a go to for me. I love that.
1: Did you do Did you do chemo and radiation?
0: I did not. So I did a lumpectomy. And I did 37 days, I remember specifically, of radiation treatment. And I've been on a chemo agent ever since, first tamoxifen and and now arimidex. So yeah, and I remember those 37 days of going to the radiation treatment, help hoping that literally getting burned every day would save my life. Right? I mean, the things that we do to claim our life and choose life and say to ourselves, by me doing this, not only am I going to be here for myself, but I'm going to be here for my my son, my child. Mm, Right?
1: totally. Yes, that maternal talk about instincts, primal instincts, that's where you go. Right. Yeah, I, I remember the day after I was diagnosed, we we had a wedding that we went to and this was like the first the first thing we had done since COVID, right? It was this outdoor wedding and so it was just kind of like freedom. <laughs> and and it was so beautiful and so fun, but it was just I just remember so clearly just holding my husband's hand tighter, like, and, and just being in the moment in a way that I had never experienced presence. Everything just crystallized.
0: Isn't that true? Um,
1: mm-hmm. It's so true. I mean, and, and I just, I'm constantly in this posture of, God, let me never get too far from that. Let me never take this path for granted, this life, this breath. I, I think that is definitely this kind of catharsis that happened to me through through cancer.
0: Why is it? You know, that, why is it that it's in the really tough, so difficult things that we come into contact with the wisdom and the joy? And 10 years later it's almost 10 years for me, I can say very honestly that I am so much more aware of being in the moment and gratitude day to day. Yes. Even 10 days later, I am so like, like poignantly aware of how precious life is. And it's really helped me to be grateful through all kinds of messiness and through our daily ordinariness. And just like this is this moment right here, Katie, I'm just so grateful for, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, we'll never have this moment again.
0: It's
1: so special. It's a good moment. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a good moment. Very good. So, talk to me about radical self care because, you know, people throw that term around self-care mm-hmm. an awful lot and it means so much more than just chocolates and nice dinners out and bubble baths, right?
1: Right. I would
0: love for you to talk a little bit about especially considering your journey with all the things. What radical self-care means to you?
1: Yes, thank you for asking that. You know, I will say I I attribute my how well I did throughout the last year through cancer, through surgery, through chemo, through recovery, through all of the things. I honestly contribute decades of self-care to how, how easy, I mean, it's never easy, but I, my experience was so much better than I think most people's. And, and my oncologist even told me the last time I went to see her, I said, you know, how many, because she's just been amazed. She said, I, you've had such an amazing attitude and you've been so strong through it. And that's just not the norm. And I said, well, how many people have it like I've had it? Like how many people come through with, you know, with the outlook and the perspective that I've had? And she said, probably 1%. And that stunned me. That stunned me. And it's, it's so not, I mean, it's, it's so not about what I did or what, how great I am. But I, I do 100% attribute that to learning the necessity of self-care and self-compassion mm. and doing my own personal work for so many years. I mean, going all the way back to high school, You know, starting therapy and starting being, you know, journaling at such a young age, you know, and exercise and all of these things and meditation and how I just, it wasn't optional for me. I just, I knew that because I'd also struggled with depression from a a young age, that I had to learn to work with it. I had to learn how to to be well and do everything I could to experience, you know, the the life that I really longed for, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I learned early on being a really sensitive kid, uh, just how radical self-care and self-compassion. And I use those words kind of interchangeably because I do think that. Self-care needs such a rebrand, like you said. I think, you know, that term has gotten so bloated over the years, and I feel that self-care really is, it's self-compassion. It's the process of befriending ourselves and our lives in such a way that we don't want to escape. Okay, say that again, because that is
0: powerful.
1: It is befriending ourselves and our lives in such a way that we don't want to escape and how many
0: ways people escape, right? And it's not just drugs and alcohol, but Lord have mercy, addiction is completely out of control. But it's also all the other things, right, that we get distracted by and pull us and then enslave us. And I don't think people realize that. It could be exercise, it could be work, it could be shopping, gambling, porn, social media, all those process addictions. so it's befriending ourselves in a way so powerfully that we don't want to escape but i and i guess that also means that when the tough stuff hits and it does sometimes it comes over with a sledgehammer sometimes it slithers in but the tough stuff usually comes in some way shape or form and we don't want to escape from that either do we i mean i know i don't It's not like I want to sign up for it either, believe me. Um, And when it comes to be present to that is also a gift.
1: Well, because it's reality.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, the tough stuff is reality, and I think back to your, you know, your love for kind of Eastern philosophy and medicine. I think, I think it. I think Eastern philosophy and religion they do a much better job of holding the tension between the light and the dark and the good and the bad they kind of are able to sit with the pain that is life right much better than our western culture yeah and so i do think though you know it's like when the when the when it gets real when it gets tough that's the time that we rush in and hold ourselves and hold space for ourselves in such a loving, compassionate way. Um, That's, that's when self-care gets real because, you know, it's, it's about, it's about being like, I love, I love your book and I love just this, idea that connection heals it's being connected to ourselves in such a way that we know moment to moment what we're needing that might look different self-care might look different today for me than it did a year ago you know but listening being connected in a way that oh I'm feeling weary Mm. I need to lie down I need to slow down today. I need to pull back. I need to create more of a margin. Mm. You know? I do.
0: I do know. I'm such a big fan of chasing slow, which I call weightlifting for our souls. How can we stop this scroll up, run faster, hustle for approval Kind of a pattern that we get ourselves into before we're even conscious. And, and that's the problem. You know, the unconscious is the unconscious, so we're not conscious of it. And how can we become more conscious of all the stuff that's in our hearts and souls and in our bodies that we're carrying as a result of trauma or unresolved grief? How can we do that? So, Katie, how do you help people do that? become more awakened, more conscious?
1: Well, I mean, look, waking up is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe it. I mean, I just think about, you know, in the middle of the night waking up when I hear my son Tucker crying, you know, like, oh, oh, you mm-hmm. know, I'd so much rather be sleeping. For sure. Um, For sure. <laughs> waking up is stressful. I, I think... I think so much of what, how I work with clients in that space is by waking up. I I mean, I definitely, I mean, I use the Enneagram to help people identify the story that they've been slumbering in, right? That they've been on autopilot in, and I think a great, I, th- I think a great tool to, to do that with clients, and you know this, you, you do it too, I'm sure, is using the Enneagram to identify the type, your, your, your dominant Enneagram type, which really helps to unpack the story that we've been living out of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that unpacks the ways that we've been playing small, mm. um, the lies that we've been telling ourselves. Yeah. Uh and it it does require this kind of committed self-observation in our daily lives that sounds really simple but man it's not simple if you've been sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's not for the faint-hearted
0: because like you said before, I think I just really would rather go back to sleep. It seems a little easier. Certainly more comfortable, you know, and I'm in recovery, so believe me, there is all kinds of ways we keep ourselves asleep. And um, W.H. Auden says, and it's one of my favorite calls to action, and it reminds me every day, he said, people would rather be ruined than changed. Oh, wow. Wow. I believe. It. I mean think about that. I mean how many times have we seen people who were like, "Yeah, no thanks. I'd rather con- continue down this path of destruction or sleep or maybe not so dramatic as destruction, but just playing small to what you said before. I mean, all of I'd rather be ruined than changed."
1: Yeah. I read a book recently that said it's a type of leadership style or not a type of leadership style but a type of way of being. And he talks about unconscious incompetence. Yes. And it's it's when, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So like, we're just okay in this lower personality, unconscious life of and way of showing, not showing up in the world. You know, it's like, you don't know what you don't know.
0: And we have to have a lot of compassion for how powerful the pull is to staying unconscious because it's scary to wake up i'm so used to doing what i do i think the question goes how can i ever learn to do something different and in the in the rooms in the in the 12 step recovery community we talk about the importance of being rigorously self honest like mm, that's so the cornerstone good. right I mean, yes. if you can't do that, eh, you're a little bit behind the eight ball.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Richard Rohr's definition of sin, or it's how he has defined it before, but he talks about sin as bonding with unreality. Yes. Oh, I love him so much.
0: I do, I do too. I do mm. too. And I also like what he says about how. And I think um, we'll end here. Although you have to come back because I want to talk to you about so many more things. I could talk to you forever. (laughs) I know. I know. Me too. You. Um, But when Richard Rohr talks about how everything belongs, and that would be my hope for everyone is, don't run away from anything because once you see how everything belongs in your life. That's when the real living begins. Everything belongs. The messy, really tough, nightmarish kind of things belong. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah it's so powerful, isn't it? It's that, it's, that, it's that quote, you know, whatever we resist persists. Mm. You
0: know? Yeah, amen. <gasps> amen. Amen to that. So, Katie, two questions for you. One is if you could save a seat for anybody, and have an amazing connection and
1: conversation with them, who would that be? Oh, wow. That is just such an incredible question and concept to even think about. I think it, it, I think it changes um, for me depending on the seasons. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the only one, but talking about Richard Rohr, he's someone that I have just had the biggest crush on for so long. (laughs) For sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I think he's definitely one person that I would love to just have a long, honest conversation over a meal, over a coffee with. Um, And then on just a really personal level, you know, my, my grandmother, who died of breast cancer at 58, I long to know her as an adult. I, she died. I was five when she died, and I just she she is such a lovely, just incredibly angelic soul. And I wish that I had gotten to know her as an adult. Uh, she would probably be my other the tie. So Richard and your grandmother.
0: <laughs> Maybe we can have both of them save two seats. Yeah, can we do that? Um, sure, we can do whatever we want to do. Um, so where can our listeners find you? Because I want them to find you. And as I told you before, I signed up for your beautiful monthly subscription called The Practice because it seems so compelling, and I want to see your tools and what you're doing and add those to my self-care um, rhythms. So where can people find you?
1: Well, the practice, you can find, the practice is a monthly self-care subscription, uh, and it, it uses the Enneagram uh, as a teaching tool to really inform your specific self-care. And on the practice, There are weekly meditations, guided meditations that I lead. There are yoga practices. Uh, There are daily journal prompts. There are monthly experts. Ian's done one. I'd love to have you talk to our subscribers about leadership and connection. Uh, So that you can find and sign up for on my website, katiegustafson.co. And... You know, I really love the 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 platform Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite social platform that I really enjoy uh, connecting with people on, and I love following you on there. Uh, and that handle is um, at katiegustafson.co.co. And you know, if if something has has really resonated with any of your listeners today. I, I am so accessible, and I love connecting with people just via email. Uh, so you're welcome to email me. At, um, you can go to my website and find my email. But yeah, that's, those, are, those are probably the most, the, the most frequented places uh, that I am on.
0: Well, and I can vouch for your Instagram because if you didn't know that you were a four and you knew the Enneagram, you would be guessing you were a four because your posts are so artistic. And so, Oh, oh, they are there. So the the photographs of you, just the very unique ways of approaching um, your message. And I just find them to be definitely the artistic side of a four. Mm. So I love them. And I'm sure other people will. Katie, thank you for being here. You've been an amazing guest and my heart feels full.
1: Oh, mine does too. Thanks for having me. It's such an honor. We'll talk soon. All right.
0: your listening means so much. So please hit the subscribe button and join us for the next episode to tune into the power of connection and transform your life at home and at work. Please also get my book, The Connected Leader. It is available on Amazon and all online book retailers. And visit our page, connectedleaderbook.com. Stay connected.